Welcome to the Chiropractors Association of Australia podcast. The CAA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by Dr. Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy and politics of chiropractic, as well as the latest research and how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Well, hello everyone and welcome to another Chiropractors Association of Australia podcast. It's great to have you back again. If you were lucky enough to be at the CAA National Conference uh, in October in Canberra, you may have heard our next uh, speaker. Uh, before I go into too many details about this uh, particular person, I just want to throw a couple of uh, stats at you, uh, which this uh, particular chiropractor presented uh, in, at the seminar. So Australia's Health 2016 report card, Australians living longer but with more chronic disease. Probably no surprises for most of you out there. Half of Australians suffer from chronic disease, but 85% believe they're healthy. That's an interesting one. One in two Australians have not exercised in the last three months. My goodness, I'd be climbing the walls if, uh, if I didn't exercise in a couple of days. Um, look, as chiropractors, we, we like to think of ourselves as um, practitioners that are interested in more than just back pain. We consider that we take a holistic approach to health, maybe a wellness approach to health. But how well are we at really doing that? Well, the next chiropractor we're going to be speaking to, uh, with is uh, Dr. Matt Fernandez. Now, Matt's a chiropractor and exercise physiologist practicing in a multidisciplinary clinic in the inner west of Sydney. He was recently awarded his PhD, which was titled Back Pain, Comorbidities and Interventions for Sciatica. Uh, he did this through the University of Sydney and it culminated in a number of publications in international peer-reviewed journals. He's also a casual academic at the Department of Chiropractic, Macquarie University, and he's presented at numerous back pain conferences, both nationally and internationally, and of course at the uh, CA AGM, as I've uh, already mentioned. So hi, Matt. Welcome to the CA podcast. Hey, Anthony. Thanks for having me today. Now, your, the title of your presentation um, at the conference and the title of our podcast today is Beyond Back Pain. Um, before we get too much into the subject matter of that, just give us, a, uh, our listeners, a little bit of, a, a, I guess, a background of how you became involved in this area of research. Sure. Not a problem. So as you mentioned, I'm a chiropractor and exercise physiologist and have been practicing since uh, the year 2000. And... Uh, uh, with a background in sports, uh, particularly swimming and uh, later surf lifesaving, I've always been interested in joining the two professions together for myself in the clinic. So if you like having a combination of pa passive and active therapies. Um, with respect to research, for me it all began a few with a few literature reviews and case reports over the years, and I managed to uh, publish those in peer-reviewed journals. And uh, although they were hard work, I was very proud of those, but uh, at the same time, I was also still very inquisitive, and that is to wanting to learn more. So uh, in late 2012, I made a few inquiries uh, at the University of New South Wales and, and uh, had a couple of meetings with the exercise physiology department. But as it turned out, I did end up at the University of Sydney in 2013 at the uh, Department of Physiotherapy. And there I had three physiotherapists, uh, Associate Professor Paula Ferreira, uh, Professor Cathy Rapshorgi, and Associate Professor Manuela Ferreira. They were were appointed as my supervisors and of course I had one chiropractor come on board, uh, Professor Jan Hardikstein who we're all familiar with 
with his uh, presentation at the CAA National this year. So all of those had to come to agree to uh, mentor me, if you like. And to be honest, I, I probably didn't appreciate at the time uh, that I had a, a number of big names in the field actually mentoring me. And they equally had great uh, connections with some equally big time uh, researchers in the field. Uh, on top of that, I was also fortunate to, to pick up a yeah, general scholarship uh, uh, with Coconut Research Limited, so I was set to go in 2013. And I remember uh, through my initial chats uh, with, with Paolo at Sydney Uni, and uh, I remember letting know that I was a, a chiropractor keen on studying spinal manipulation and core uh, stability. But I was politely told that all this stuff had already been done and dusted, and uh, the research findings in this area weren't exactly earth-shattering. So they, as a faculty, were really interested in, in public health issues, and this involved back pain, uh, physical activity, and medication, for instance. So for me, so long as it was back pain and physical activity, I was quite happy to explore other areas as it was tied into chiropractic and exercise physiology. And if we fast forward four years later to now, with uh, plenty of conferences under my belt, uh, travel and meeting numerous people in the field, I was awarded my PhD at the Faculty of Health Science this September, uh, and that was at a faculty that is currently ranked number one in the world for sport, physical therapy and rehabilitation. So my thesis, as you mentioned, was titled Back Pain Comorbidities and Interventions for Sciatica and included a number of public health uh, related topics such as back pain and its relationship or association to chronic diseases like depression, anxiety, insomnia, uh, cardiovascular diseases such as heart attacks and also early death. And as we know, all of these have a profound impact on one's quality of life. Additionally, my meta-analyses or systematic reviews on sciatica compared uh, a number of treatment interventions that included advice to stay active versus supervised exercise and also another review on surgical versus non-surgical treatments for sciatica. So, Anthony, in a nutshell, that, that's my background and, and my introduction to research, if you like. Well, it's a very good background and, and great to have people like Jan Harbertson in your, in your corner. He's obviously a, a, a real uh, you know, magnificent leader in chiropractic and uh, musculoskeletal research. Um, give us a snapshot, um, if you could, Matt, on where we are at in terms of chronic disease and, and the health of our nation and, and indeed Western culture. Well, I guess... It's probably good to start from the top, and um, the World Health Organization identifies four major categories of non-communicable diseases, if you like, or chronic diseases. So they include cardiovascular disease, such as stroke and heart attacks, diabetes like type 2 diabetes, chronic respiratory diseases such as asthma and emphysema, and of course various types of cancers. If we look more at home, we know that chronic diseases has long-lasting and persistent effects, and uh, some of the data presented at the conference, for example, goes back to 2008, 2009, and basically showed that chronic diseases were responsible for eight out of 10 premature deaths uh, in Australia. It was costing the health system $27 billion per year, so it's probably more now, but importantly reduced the workforce participation and productivity and also reduced the quality of life. And I guess the big issue associated with this is our ageing population. I mean, we're all living longer and the average male in Australia can expect to live to at least 80 years of age, and for a female, a bit longer to around 84 years of age. And with chronic disease, if you look at more recent uh, health surveys, uh, in Australia, one in every two, or at least 50%, will have at least one prominent chronic condition. And this can, can include anything like arthritis, back pain, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, diabetes, or mental health conditions, to name a few. 
Um, additionally, on top of that, we know that a quarter of all Australians will report two or more chronic conditions. So that's your comorbidities. And also three in every five Australians aged 65 years or over also reported two or more chronic uh, conditions. So as a snapshot, if you like, it, it's not looking too flash. So uh, I guess I'm interested, you, you mentioned how um, you, you, you were an exercise physiologist uh, originally, that you had a desire always to, to set up a practice that included both sort of passive and, and active care. From a practical point of view, how does the chiropractor go about incorporating these lifestyle issues and comorbidities into their day-to-day -day practice? So encouraging lifestyle factors is always what you're looking at. Yep. A number of ways. I think, um, you know, the national conference, I, I highlighted a number of areas uh, that chiropractors could immediately address these issues. And um, I can certainly go through a couple of them. Uh, I think, for instance, uh, measuring one's BMI, being familiar with the charts and being able to classify patients as being uh, a normal weight if you like or being a little bit overweight or obese and then at the conference I also uh, encouraged uh, chiropractors to work with other, other uh, allied health professionals if you like. Uh, so in this instance when we're looking at BMI we can, we can talk to nutritionists and dietitians. Naturally physical activity is a big one so you can ask patients at every consultation and, and have the guidelines uh, as a reference point and also uh, collaborate with an exercise physiologist. When you're looking at things like smoking obviously you have the quit line. Blood pressure is something that we can measure uh, in the clinic and you can refer back to a GP or, or a cardiologist. Um, skin, I mean, we assess people's skin, particularly when they take shirts off to have a look at their back. I mean, it's very simple to identify uh, perhaps skin lesions or, or uh, old moles and just simply telling the patient if they're aware of this and letting them know that maybe they should uh, investigate further. With respect to mood disorders, I mean, there's many quick ones one or two item questionnaires that can screen for things like depressive symptoms or anxiety. And of course, you can collaborate with a psychologist. Uh, with respect to alcohol, you have Alcoholics Anonymous Australia. Uh, with sleep, there are many sleep clinics and sleep doctors that specialize in this area. Um, if you need bloods, obviously collaborating with a GP. And I guess one area where we um, where I probably didn't talk much about was, was grip strength, something that we can do in the clinic. I know dynamometers can cost a fair bit, you know, a number of hundreds of dollars, but um, research does show that grip strength uh, reduction is associated with uh, early or excess mortality, particularly cardiovascular-specific mortality. So uh, maintaining muscle mass might be something of a high priority, if you like, um, uh, spe specifically in seniors. Um, with respect to comorbidities, or chronic diseases, I think even just going through our history taking, so asking our patients about a history of cardiovascular disease, diabetes, lumps and bumps, a history of cancer, and importantly, perhaps driving a little bit more into a family history, if you like, and, and making the links there. So I think these are some of the ways where a chiropractor uh, or exercise physiologist, if you like, can incorporate these lifestyle issues uh, into their practice uh, somewhat immediately. And how soon, I mean, obviously this is going to vary from uh, person to person, but um, how soon do you introduce these sorts of things? If, for example, I'm just thinking of a 15-year-old girl who comes in to see you with 
mid-back pain and she's clearly over uh, overweight uh, obviously there are sensitivity issues there you know she hasn't come to see you for um, uh, for advice on a nutrition she's come to see you for back pain how do you work that um, that scenario out so that you're not uh, I guess alienating the uh, the patient by addressing something that maybe at least first up they're not necessarily uh, they're not necessarily interested in yeah, that's a, that's a good question, and I, I believe you have to uh, tread very carefully there. But, um, you know, you, you can certainly look at uh, building rapport with the patient, and there's certainly good literature about the practitioner-patient relationship and the therapeutic alliance. But I guess uh, getting back to your question with regards to, as that, as that example, for instance, um, and when addressing lifestyle issues, I think irrespective of the age, I think we, we need to address it with all patients at some point. Um, and we have to look at their lifestyle behaviours and, and trying to link them with a, a longer, healthier life. Um, and there's a couple of things that we can highlight, for instance, in that area. Uh, you, you look at smoking, for instance, and um, tobacco companies, you know, targeting our youth through these e-cigarettes, and uh, these things appear to be on the rise. But um, overall, if we look at our smoking rates, they have decreased, and that's a great example of uh, national health prevention. Um, we look at booze intake as well, alcohol intake, and overall, our, uh, our nation is consuming less than it was a couple of decades ago, uh, particularly in those under uh, the age of 40, which is a good thing because that age group is certainly associated with uh, motor vehicle accidents and violence and injury. But on the other side, there's an increase of intake of alcohol in those over 40, and uh, the reasons aren't clear, but maybe it's the antioxidants in wine or analgesic effects uh -huh. of alcohol. Yep. You know what I mean? So um, also coming back to your question with regards to weight and uh, knowing that healthy range, uh, I think um, we need to let our patients know that the obesity rate is climbing and, and, and give them some stats. For instance, if the projections are correct, 75% of us uh, will be overweight by or obese by the year 2020. And uh, with kids in particular, this rate is increasing, uh, particularly school kids and, as I mentioned at the conference, uh, uh, with boys especially, there's studies showing that they're consuming the equivalent of 22 grams of sugar per day. So mm. that's obviously going to push into weight gain, predisposed to diabetes, and naturally predisposed to uh, cardiovascular diseases. So if, you, if you're looking at the stats, uh, at least in Australia, 63% uh, are overweight or obese adults, and 25% of children are in the same category. And you, know, you can move globally, and uh, stats show that uh, global obesity is more than doubled between 1980 and 2014. So these are some of the areas, I mean, I guess our big one that, that probably interests all of us uh, and the one that's perhaps the easiest to implement is, is physical activity. Mm, and uh, as you mentioned earlier, 50% uh, don't meet the guidelines of, of 30 minutes a day, uh, five days a week. And we know it's very powerful. Uh, it's free and it has huge benefits. Uh, now, more recent data showing that uh, there's risk reductions associated with uh, activity. So all-cause mortality, there's a 30% reduction. If you look at something like diabetes, 40% risk reduction. Um, even things like hip fractures, up to 70% reduction with physical activity. And things like depression or dementia, up to a 30% reduction. So, yeah, it, it's obviously very important. I guess that's a, a fairly powerful way, certainly, to explain it to patients in, in the case that you just mentioned there about the 
um, you know, weight gain and uh, you know, knee osteoarthritis and those sorts of things, when you can relate it to the reasons that they come in for, so someone comes in with knee pain and you can give them those kind of statistics, that's, that's something I imagine that's, uh, that's very powerful. Um, your, how much of your examination is, I do this on every patient, as opposed to something that's triaged specifically for you know, the, the girl who comes in who's overweight or the gentleman who ticked that he doesn't exercise on his uh, intake form? So obviously they, they're coming in for musculoskeletal conditions and uh, we will go through a musculoskeletal examination, obviously a history prior to that. But then I think it just, for me, it's just a matter of it coming into uh, a conversation, if you like. Uh, sometimes uh, there's an opportunity for me to bring it up through the history taking Sometimes it may come in later during a treatment session or it might pop up generally through conversation. But for me, um, I sort of wait for that opportunity. And uh, I think those opportunities open up when patients get to know what you're about. Yes. They get to know you, like you, trust you, all those sort of things. And it probably comes back to that therapeutic alliance, uh, that patient-practitioner relationship. And again, very good uh, literature in regards to that. So I, I sort of wait for my opportunities honest yeah and i think that's a, a smart and uh, a sensible way of doing it you mentioned before about uh the mental health and this is a, a big challenge uh of course as well do you uh is do you bring up those um subjects again based on, on the history do you use um any sort of you know uh, outcome measure or intake forms to to determine what level of depression or anxiety that the, the patients might have from time to time i, I do I I think when we have our clinic uh, entry form where people give us our basic details, I have a number of those lifestyle and comorbidities set out through there. And obviously it's confidential and I ask them to circle it. So when they come in and we have a chat, uh, I have a look at that uh, screening. And, and even if it's not been circled, I do sort of bring up some of the big players, if you like, um, and I sort of go from there. And, and, and sometimes it doesn't come up, but uh, they might mention uh, other therapists that they're seeing or perhaps. Uh, medication that they're tanking that's related to say mental health for instance so um, that's how I sort of look at it and and again if I think it's a, uh, a strong player in the musculoskeletal presentation then I, I will probably look towards some very basic uh, questionnaires so as you know everyone's different of course uh, and I guess this is um, another just following on from that is that both in mental health, I guess, is the perfect example of it, but really in all those areas that we've talked about, the comorbidities and uh, lifestyle and chronic disease issues, we can't be everything to everyone, um, but we need to have that kind of awareness. Where do you draw the line in terms of say, okay, this is something that I can manage within my own practice, or this is something where I'll refer out to the exercise physiologist or to the psychologist or, or whoever else it might be? Yeah, it's a, it's a good one because, uh, as you say, it's such a broad topic and, um, you know, if you're looking at population change, that's obviously very tough. But I think individually we can all make changes and get runs on the board and, and have a few wins and I'm sure we've all had that, uh, particularly when it comes to musculoskeletal. But um, I think an area where we can uh, make a difference and, uh, as you say, not everything to all people. I think it's in the community aspect or your community presence and uh, trying to become a, a leader or an advocate for good health and uh, hopefully with a bit of um, 
with a bit of push, you become somewhat of a prominent figure in, in your community and, and people take notice. So um, there are a number of areas where I think we, we can tap on um, and, and this just relates back to, to your patients. Uh, I think, for instance, with senior health, um, obviously we can make the recommendations of senior gyms and, and, and uh, group activities, but they don't necessarily have to be lifting weights or, or barbells and dumbbells, etc. But we can give them things like uh, TheraBands. When you, when you go towards kids, uh, you encourage a playground activity in safe areas, so they get that mental and physical stimulation. Uh, thinking along the community lines, uh, I mentioned at the conference about people who live near a outdoor 50-metre pool, for instance, and whether that pool was closed for three, four, five months of the year, particularly during the winter months. And, and I would think that maybe 20 years ago that was okay, but now in 2017, as we know, health is such an important thing, uh, I don't think it's responsible for our council to keep a pool closed. So being an advocate or getting petitions together to have the pool open, other areas, I think, uh, through the school canteen, uh, looking at what they're serving up to kids from a salt and sugar perspective. Um, you could also look at um, outdoor planning, such as uh, outdoor gyms in parks, uh, bike lanes, walkways, safe lighting. And also a big one, which I think we could make a great change is, is through school kids, again, uh, encouraging school sports, not only at lunchtime, but maybe even after school. So uh, imagine... In a, a school where they take out two or three days of compulsory homework and substitute that with compulsory physical activity. Uh, I think that would be a, a great idea. And, and reclaiming green space, our parks, trees, and something that I guess is a bit tougher and probably indulging a little bit more into our environment, and that's the, um, the walkways, pedestrian walkways and bike lanes. I think things like that. Um, we can become a good advocate for and we meet uh, public health goals at the same time. Well, it's not only a, a fantastic way to really, you know, improve the, the health and well-being of, a, of your community, but it's also a, 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 you know, ethical and responsible and positive way to build a practice, really, isn't it? So for, I guess, chiropractors that have been out there for a while or chiropractors who are just starting up, you know, that's, that's something that they could really get their teeth into. Absolutely. It's certainly, uh, it's not hard and, and uh, you know, you just got to um, overcome those fears and realise that you're trying to do good and it's not self-serving. You know, you're just going to become a go-to person when it comes to uh, a healthy lifestyle and it just so happens that you, you look after musculoskeletal conditions, which, as we know, blends into these lifestyles. We don't have musculoskeletal as an isolated entity, if you like. It's, it's part of that poor health pattern, if you like. It is a, certainly a positive thing that I've noticed in the last uh, 10 to 15 years. You see so many more of those, um, you know, classes run by sort of councils or, uh, you know, in-park gyms. We've had a few pop up just in, in our neighbourhood uh, recently. It used to be that maybe there was one bar if someone could do chin-ups that they, they were strong enough to do chin-ups, they could do it there. But now it's, it's like a, a mini outdoor gym with little... Um, pictures to show you how to use the equipment properly. We, we've certainly come a long way, but we've got a, a long way still to go. No, I certainly agree, and and it's good to see. I mean, uh, you think if you've finally woken up these councils that have been sleeping and uh, they're popping up everywhere, and as you say, close to home. Certainly, I drive past one every day, and there's always at least someone there, even when, when we have uh, ordinary weather. There's people there, so it's a good thing. And it's social interaction as well. And we know isolation can be an issue, particularly with, with our seniors when they retire. Absolutely. So it's, it's a great thing. 
Now, this might be an unfair question for you, but uh, you're probably aware of a somewhat famous case of a Tasmanian orthopedic surgeon who received a notification from APRA for giving dietary advice to his patients. Now, we're not going to tie ourselves up in legal tangles here. There's no questions about the specifics of the case, but what do chiropractors need to consider when they're talking about lifestyle uh, advice and where do we cross the line uh, as far as scope of practice is concerned? Yeah, so look, to be honest, I think that clearly you can't work outside your scope of practice and uh, if you're not qualified in the area, well, you just don't touch it. But um, when you're coming towards lifestyle, I, I think you can refer back to the guidelines and use that a as your guide. For instance, if you have the guidelines with you, in general, you can talk about diets that are perhaps rich in lean meat and fish, uh, promote fruit and vegetables, uh, whole grain foods and dairy this is all in line with the australian guides to uh, healthy eating uh, additionally you can have uh, ready-made statistics for instance um 52 of australian adults don't get the recommended two servings of fruit a day or up to 92 percent of those australians who basically don't get the recommended five servings of vegetables per day so that's with respect to to, to diet if you like or nutrition but with exercise, I think you could almost really go to town on this area. I mean, this is obviously something that we need to promote uh, both uh, for kids, uh, adults and older adults. And we, we touched on it before about the lifestyle benefits uh, for our health, uh, improving sleep, our weight management, uh, improving or managing stress and our quality of life. We already mentioned the reduction of the number of comorbidities, so the, the drop in type 2 diabetes. Uh, the drop in falls, depression, uh, dementia, and of course for us the drop or reduction in joint and back pain. We need the awareness, uh, for instance, of how many minutes uh, of exercise we need. We know that 150 minutes of moderate activity is what we need per week, or perhaps 75 minutes of vigorous activity, and uh, something along those lines, maybe a combination. But importantly, uh, something is better than nothing, and we need to emphasize that because uh, if you just do a little bit, it is certainly better than being sedentary, and that's the red flag when you're sedentary. And look, there are practical steps you can take immediately when it comes to a physical prescription of uh, exercise, if you like. Uh, for example, you can ask your patients about physical activity at every consultation, not just at the beginning or when you're taking the form in or when they're coming in for the first time. And you can certainly encourage patients to measure and record their physical activity. Now with technology, pedometers, and particularly with smartphones, they can start to get some objective measures uh, over time. And of course, building your own collaborations and consider referrals to perhaps uh, sports medicine physicians or exercise physiologists or perhaps a trusted uh, personal trainer that you have. So I think all of this is within our scope of practice. Matt, that is fantastic information and congratulations on uh, your PhD. We need uh, more people like you out there in the profession and I think it's really important that uh, chiropractors support our researchers. Uh, great information today. I hope you, um, you know, uh, you're obviously very happy to give up your time and I really appreciate um, you spending the time with the uh, CAA podcast today. Much appreciated. Thank you for having me. It's been great. And um, I, um, I really enjoyed uh, the presentation and Canberra. And uh, I think um, that we just showed that it's not beyond us, that we can, we can actually do something. It was just a, a case of putting it together. And, and it is a big topic, but I think we can you know, have a bird's eye view, if you like, and, and see that uh, uh, our musculoskeletal disorders, you know, they lead the way in terms of global disability, but uh, our lifestyle probably has a direct bearing on that as well.
So whether you call it wellness or the biopsychosocial approach, it's definitely important for us as chiropractors to be involved with these sort of lifestyle issues. And uh, that's it for me. Thanks for listening. Go forward with passion and purpose. And I look forward to chatting with you again on our next CAA podcast. Mm-hmm.